I hear the Turakas from Devagiri are only two days away from Kummata. I pray to Mahadeva to protect us from the scourge of these Mlachas. Have trust in our benevolent and brave Raya. He will protect us and defeat the Turakas yet again. I hope your words come true, Veerabhadra. I'll offer two appapadis to the Lord of Hemakuta if those come true. Bahadur, my dear friend, we should fall back. The situation is serious. They're getting too close now and the waves don't seem to stop. The next arrow might not miss its mark. You head back into the fort and I'll follow you shortly. Raya, glad to see you back safe. My friend, we have no time for these pleasantries. You and your family will be escorted to Dwara Samudra with the best of my crack troops. No scratch will come on you, your begum or your children. Hopefully you will be safe there. Bhallala is an honorable man. My dear Raya, how can I leave you here? This is an order as the king, not a request as a friend Bahadur. Go now. My bodyguards will escort you. And what about the royal zanana? They stay here with me. We don't have time for this. You should get going now, my friend. As you wish, my Raya. What they say about you is true. You're indeed dharma personified. I leave with a heavy heart. May that Allah's grace keep you safe. Warriors of this sacred land of Kumbhata, you've been with me all these years in thick and thin and been through hell in the last many years. I've asked too much already from you. No man should be put through such a test. But you did pass through the fire unscathed time and again. I will not mind or despise anyone who wants to leave with their families to safety. So you have decided to stay. May that Mahadeva Grant me my wish to be born again with you, brothers, tied by sacrifice of blood. And may Bharata Varsha remember as the sons of the soil who fought and fell for dharma. Let's then give those Turushkas from Delhi one last taste of Kampali's Tandava. Hello listeners, welcome to Itihasa, an Indic history podcast and you're listening to episode 14 of the season Vijayanagara. In the last episode, we delved into the political conditions in the kingdoms of Pandyas and Yadavas and we also looked at the rise of the Delhi Sultanate under Khiljis and Tughlaqs. And we also looked at the impact of Delhi Sultanate's relentless onslaughts against the kingdoms of the south. We saw how three of the four kingdoms had been subjugated by the Khiljis and Tughlaqs and which ultimately led to their implosion. The Pandyas, Kakatiyas and Yadavas after thriving for hundreds of years couldn't adapt 
to the much newer style of warfare of the Islamic forces from up north. And neither were they able to put aside their incessant rivalry in order to combat the bigger threat. If only they were united for the common cause of stopping the Islamic onslaught before it was too late, all four of them would have surely been heavy on the Khiljis and Tughlaqs due to the sheer amount of manpower and resources the combined alliance would have had at their disposal. The vast distances between the south and the imperial capital of Delhi in itself would have given the advantage of attrition against the Islamic forces. Again, as we saw, none of this actually happened. As such, an alliance or a movement never took shape or form. Most of the rebellions against the Delhi Sultanate were spontaneous and a result of the local aspirations to free themselves of the despotic Tughlaq domination. They weren't coordinated into a large-scale movement like some narratives claim them to be, which, as I indicated in the earlier episode, they were an afterthought. We also saw how Muhammad bin Tughlaq shifted his imperial capital from Delhi to Devagiri and renamed it as Daulatabad. In this episode, we shall look at the last major kingdom of Hoysala and a small state of Kampili in the south. We shall see their conflict with the Tughlaqs and the events that transpired. Let's pick up from where we left in the last episode. We ended the previous episode with the ascension of Muhammad bin Tughlaq and his quick subjugation of Pandyas, Kakatiyas and Yadavas. And he was getting ready to launch campaigns against the mighty Hoysalas and the small kingdom of Kampili. We shall start the journey with the story of Kampili. It's really important we learn about this small kingdom as it is tied at the hip with the story of Vijayanagara and its origin. The story of Vijayanagara will be incomplete without me telling my listeners the story of Kampili. The kingdom of Kampili came into existence during the tumultuous years of the 14th century with the onslaught of the repeated invasions of Khiljis and Tughlaqs, like we saw in the previous episodes. As per Kannada literature called Ramanatha Charite or also known as Kumara Rama Charite, composed by Nanjunda Kavi in the year 1525 AD, the kingdom of Kampili was founded by Mummadi Singaya. Mummadi Singaya was most probably a chieftain or nayaka who was a vassal of Ramadeva of Devagiri, belonging to the Yadava kingdom. After the subjugation of Yadava empire by the Khiljis, he is known to have moved southwards after declaring himself as independent from Ramadeva of Devagiri and he establishes his own kingdom. The earliest epigraphical evidence of Mummadi Singhaya is from 1280 AD. It records a battle between a certain Chaundarasa and Mummadi Singhaya, in which the former is defeated and killed. Another epigraph dated from 1281 AD talks about an attack launched by Mummadi Singhaya on the Chitaladurga fort in the modern-day Chitaladurga district of Karnataka. This district is supposedly one of the most backward districts in Karnataka in spite of a great historical importance. The Chitradurga fort was an important fort that was built in stages sometime in between the 11th and 13th century by Chalukyas, Hoysalas, Naikas of Chitradurga 
of the Vijayanagara Empire. So this inscription or epigraph talks about Mummadi Singayya's attack on this fort. It is assumed that he was a powerful chieftain in the Yadava kingdom and didn't always listen to his suzerain's orders when it came to military campaigns that were launched on his own initiative. As we saw in the earlier episodes, he fits perfectly into the profile of an ambitious vassal looking to go independent and rogue at the right moment. We don't know in what year he died exactly, but we do know that he had two sons by the names Khandeyaraya and Kampiladeva. As of 1300 AD, the first one was known to be governing the territory adjacent to the neighborhood of Harihara, which is in Devanagari district, Karnataka. This district is around 275 kilometers north of Bangalore today and is situated on the banks of Tungabhadra River. And the other son, Kampiladeva, was at the court of his sovereign, Ramadeva of Devagiri, and assisted him in Ramadeva's campaigns against Veerabhalala III in 1303 AD. So these inscriptions make it clear that Mummadi Singayya and his sons were Yadava kingdom's vassals. and that they didn't proclaim their independence from Yadavas at least until after 1307 AD because it was some time in between 1307 to 1308 AD that Malik Kafur on behalf of Alauddin Khilji had subjugated Yadavas and carried away Ramadeva and his family to Delhi as we saw in the last episode we also saw earlier that Ramadeva and his family were sent back to Devagiri after 6 months stay in delhi and after fully submitting to khilji in these 6 months the situation in devagiri was a chaos as many chieftains had risen up and declared their independence this was also one of the reasons why khilji sent ramadeva back to his kingdom so he can control the rebellious chiefs easily and keep paying him the tributes which otherwise wouldn't have come without subjugating all these rebellious subordinate chiefs while ramadeva's return to devagiri did bring normalcy to the yadava kingdom his power did not regain its lost prestige and honor after his submission to the khiljis and this evidently made a strong chieftain like mummadi singayya to declare his independence and take over all the territories to the south of yadava dominions It is also known that Mummadi nominated his more ambitious and capable son Kampiladevaraya as his heir apparent. After his ascension to the throne of Kampili sometime after 1308 AD, Kampiladevaraya took full advantage of the weakness of his old sovereign Ramadeva and strengthened his own kingdom and position. In 1312 AD after Ramadeva's death and his son Sangama's rebellion against the Khiljis like we saw in the last episode Sangama loses a battle against Malik Kafur and abandons Devagiri after this Kafur takes over the kingdom and administers it directly without being a high-handed unlike before notwithstanding the friendly attitude of Khiljis most of the Yadava dominions don't toe the line and raise the banner of rebellion one of the prominent ones was the king of kampili kampili deva whom kafur still treated as a vassal of erstwhile yadava kingdom 
and by transitive property he was a khilji's vassal who had to submit to him or the submit to delhi sultanate so sometime in 1315 to 1316 ad malik kafur is forced to march against the belligerent king of kampili and he lays siege to the fort of kummata which is one of kampili's strongholds but malik kafur finds that the kummata fort is near impregnable and after a week long siege he raises it and heads back to delhi as we saw in the previous episode sometime in the beginning of 1316 ad alauddin khilji fell sick and he got bedridden and kafur is called back to delhi this mostly played an important role in kafur prematurely lifting the siege against kummata with the death of alauddin khilji in 1316 ad and assassination of malik kafur in delhi things once again start getting heated up in the south and the deccan this forces mubarak shah the new sultan to march against these kingdoms to suppress the rebellions and subjugate them yet again from the perspective of kampili we do not know in detail as to what role it played in the 4 to 5 years after khilji and kafur's deaths we only have some cursory information on the political conditions with respect to its neighboring rivals but we do know that kampili had become so strong and fearful that it was now seen as a threat by both the khiljis and the hoysala king virabhalala 3 the kingdom of kampili was surrounded by powerful kingdoms on the north were the dominions of khiljis on the south were the hoysalas and on the east was the kakatiya frontier so it was only natural that kampila deva came into conflict with all of those as per k a nilakantha shastri the kannada classic ramnatha charite that we saw earlier gives an account of a war between kampila deva and prataparudra of kakatiyas in which prataparudra is known to have been defeated but there is another source called bala bhagavata that talks about kampila deva taking in severe losses too on his end and kampili only having a pyrrhic victory against the kakatiyas It is stated in Bala Bhagavata that the Aravidu chiefs who were holding sway over Karnool and its neighborhood helped Prataparudra inflict heavy losses on Kampiladeva. It's worth reminding that these were the same Aravidus of Aravidu dynasty who rose to power in Vijayanagara during Ramaraya in the 16th century after the demise of Krishnadeva Raya. This event of a conflict with Aravidus mostly happened sometime around 1320 AD. In 1323 AD, the Kakatiya kingdom fell to the Tughlaqs, as we saw in the previous episode. And Kampiladeva took full advantage of this new development by annexing the territories corresponding to the modern-day Raichur Doab to Kampili. With the fall of Kakatiyas, both Kampiladeva and Bhallala III could focus on each other's territories and their expansionist designs but bhallala had a lot to lose if he didn't keep kampila's fast rising power in check so bhallala did what anyone can expect he went aggressively after kampila and it led to bitter and protracted wars the kannada classics k 
ಕುಮಾರ ರಮಣ ಕಥೆ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಬಳ್ಳಾಲ ರಾಯಣ ಯುದ್ಧ ರೆಕಾರ್ಡ್ ದ ಡೀಟೇಲ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸ್ಟ್ರಗಲ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ಬೋತ್ ಆಫ್ ದೆಮ್ ದೆರ್ ಆರ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಕ್ರಿಪ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಹೊಸಕೋಟೆ ಇನ್ ದ ಶಿಮೋಗ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಿಕ್ಟ್ ಡೇಟೆಡ್ ಥರ್ಟೀನ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಏಡಿ ದಟ್ ಬಳ್ಳಾಲ ತ್ರೀ ಮಾರ್ಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಆರ್ಮಿ ಟು ದೋರವಾಡಿ ಸೆವೆನ್ ಟು ಏಟ್ ಮೈಲ್ಸ್ ಟು ದ ನಾರ್ತ್ ಈಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅಣಿಗುಂಡಿ ಅಗೇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ ಕಂಪಿಲ ದೇವ ದೆರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅನದರ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಕ್ರಿಪ್ಷನ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ತುಮಕೂರು ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಿಕ್ಟ್ ಡೇಟೆಡ್ ಥರ್ಟೀನ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಫೈವ್ ಏಡಿ ಡಿಸ್ಕ್ರೈಬಿಂಗ್ ದ ವಾರ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ಬೋತ್ ಆಫ್ ದೆಮ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಅಲ್ಯೂಡ್ಸ್ ಟು ದ ಮಾರ್ಚ್ ಆಫ್ ಬಳ್ಳಾಲಾಸ್ ಆರ್ಮಿ ಟು ಸಿರುಗುಪ್ಪೆ ಇನ್ ದ ಬಳ್ಳಾರಿ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಿಕ್ಟ್ A pitched battle was supposedly fought and Sakki Sahini, one of the Ballala's great generals, was killed. From these inscriptions, it is clear that Hoyasalas and Kampili were frequently at war with each other in between 1320 to 1325 AD. And Hoyasalas didn't really gain an upper hand from these campaigns. It seems Kampili was punching way above its weight against the Hoyasalas. N. Venkata Ramanaya, in his work, Kampili and Vijayanagara, published in 1929, details how Kampili was battling with Kakatiyas and Ballalas both at the same time. And it was prevailing over them decisively in many battles it fought against them. It's worth mentioning that Kampiladeva's son and crown prince, Kumara Rama, had a huge role in many of these battles in addition to his chief minister bai chappa kumar rama till date is a massive figure and a legend for kannadigas and some telugus in the border districts he is respected still for not just his virtuosity but also his bravery against khiljis and tughlaqs the kannada film gandugali kumar rama which was released in 2006 is based on the life of kumara rama the role of kumara rama was played by the kannada superstar shivaraj kumar in this movie notwithstanding all these protracted wars kampiladeva seems to have ruled from doravadi in kurugodu nadu modern day billadi and hospet districts which was the heart of his kingdom and he seems to have extended it to the whole of devanagari district in chitaldurg in the west and sirigupe in the bellari district on the north of it was the krishna river representing its northern border its capital appears to have been close to the two main forts of kummata and hosamalai durga which figure largely in the kampali's wars with the tughlaqs as per nilakantha shastri there is an inscription dated from 1436 ad that mentions a bhaira deva of Aneya Sandhi of Hastinavati. Shastri thinks that it might be the older name of Anugundi and also an abbreviation of Muraneya Sandhi. Muraneya Sandhi means the place where the three elephant hills meet. If Shastri's assessment is correct, the Hosamalai Durga fort built by Kampila Deva at Muraneya Sandhi is no other place than Anugundi. that is very close to the majestic city of Hampi. Anigundi was destined to play a glorious role in the history of South India with the rise of Vijayanagara. Ramanaya in his work Kampali and Vijayanagara two hints at Hosamalai Durga being Anigundi. So Kampaladeva's stars were in the ascending and he had a brilliant military record 
against both the Hoysalas and the initial attempts of Muslim armies. But all that changed with the death of Sultan Ghiyasuddin Tughlaq in 1325 AD and the chain of events that transpired. His son Muhammad bin Tughlaq inherits the throne and all the vassals pay homage to him except Bahauddin Gharshasp, the nephew of the previous Sultan and governor of the Sagar province near modern-day Gulbarga, probably. Bahauddin raises the banner of rebellion against Muhammad bin Tughlaq and raises an army. Ramanaya, in his work Kampali and Vijayanagara, mentions that Bahauddin Gharshasp was actually a victim of conspiracy. Ramanaya says that the nobles in the Tughlaq court were actually jealous of Gharshasp and they create a wedge between the Sultan and Gharshasp and forcing Gharshasp to flee and raise a rebellion. And then the court nobles show this act by Gharshasp as an act of treachery to the Sultan and then they force the Sultan to suppress him. The Sultan immediately sends his governor of Gujarat, Malik Ahmad Ayaz, to crush the rebellion. Sultan's army reaches Devagiri or Daulatabad and marches against Bahauddin Gharshasp. A battle is forced somewhere on the banks of Godavari River in which Gharshasp is decisively defeated due to a last-minute desertion by one of his subordinates. And after this, Bahauddin is forced to fall back to the fort of Sagar. With the Sultan's army tightening the noose around his garrison, he and his family escape to the kingdom of Kampili and request protection from Kampiladeva. It is recorded that Kampiladeva personally assures Bahauddin of his protection, even if it means he brings upon the wrath of Tughlaqs upon himself. It is well recorded that Kampiladeva not only acted as a strong bulwark against Islamic onslaught down south, but also was a brave individual who had utmost respect for the Puranic ideals of Dharma. So with his overt protection to the rebellious cousin of the reigning Sultan Muhammad bin Tughlaq, Kampili directly pits itself against the powerful Delhi Sultanate and literally declares an inevitable war. The Sultan Muhammad had to send his armies three times before he could subdue it. The first campaign ended in utter failure with Kampiladeva defeating Sultan's general Malik Rukhuddin who had to retreat. The second one that was dispatched under Qutb Malik Jahan to meet the same fate on the battlefield. This only enrages the Sultan and the third time he sends his best general Ahmad Ayaz Malik Zada to take the Kumata fort. Though before Malik Zada could reach Kumata, he was intercepted by the combined forces of Kampiladeva and Bahauddin. In the battle that followed, the duo is defeated and forced to fall back to the fort of Kumata. Malik Zada launches a siege against this fort and just as the fort fell, both Kampiladeva and Bahauddin fight their way the fort of Hosamalai Durga, which is Anugundi. Malik Zada pursues them to this fort and lays siege to it too. After a month-long siege in which incessant waves of Tughlaq soldiers attack the fort, the situation 
of the kampali's last stronghold becomes critical and kampaladeva decides to send bahaudin to bhallala threes court for safety it's really puzzling and interesting that kampaladeva sends him to bhallala why this happens isn't really recorded but my take on this is that kampaladeva in spite of all the bad blood and rivalry between them he probably thought that hoysala ruler was an honorable man an upholder of dharma like himself it is recorded that bhallala 3 was indeed a brave honorable ruler and widely respected by his people and foes alike after sending bahaudin garshasp away to dwar samudra kampaladeva decides to make a last stand at hosamale durga fort against the islamic hordes what happens here is very well documented by muslim chroniclers like the moroccan ibn battuta barni and farishta kampaladeva makes an inspiring last speech to his people and citizens of kampili he tells that the sultan of delhi and his armies wouldn't leave this place without everyone being either enslaved or killed and that he has nothing more left other than his last fortress and the people within them he said he would not be surrendering to the king of delhi and that he would fight to death let's now look at an excerpt from ramanayya's scholarly work kampli and vijayanagara published in 1929 ad here ramanayya quotes farishta on what happened next quote and so he asked to arm themselves and die with them in the battle giving their lives to the enemy who deprived them all of their lands all of them were content and glad at this and in a short time they were all armed at this time they were all standing in a large open space in front of the citadel and there by the hand of the king were slain over 50 of his wives and some sons and little daughters and same was done with their own hands by all those who had wives and sons who couldn't fight and quote Kampaladeva and a small body of his forces nobles and armed citizens opened the gates of the fort and rushed into the enemy waiting outside the gates and just like the raya promised he and his men fought till their last breath like ferocious tigers this is what farishta had to say about the survivors in the fort after the wholesale massacre quote and their enemies forthwith entered and slew all of them except six old men who withdrew to a house they were made captive and taken before the king of delhi and court kampili's king kampiladeva fought like a true warrior and his body in the end was found fully covered with arrows and with the end of its brave king the kingdom of kampili ceased to exist thereafter Kampaladeva's head was later stuffed with grass and sent on a silver platter to the Sultan Muhammad bin Tughlaq at his new capital at Daulatabad. Maybe next time my listeners visit Daulatabad or its nearby city of Nashik visiting the famous Shirdi temple they might be reminded of the deep history behind it. Now let's look at what happened to Bahaudin Garshasp who was sent to Dwarasamudra the Hoysala capital. Garshasp and his family reached the court of Bhallala 3 for asylum. Just as they reached, 
the Tughlaq general began to plan the invasion of the last remaining Hoysala kingdom. Bhallala III had no intention to offer any protection to the rogue runaway Tughlaq cousin. Unlike his rival Kampaladeva, he didn't want to risk his own kingdom by interfering in Tughlaq family troubles. So Bhallala III puts aside whatever chivalry, honor and his dharma as a ruler to offer asylum to the weak. In order to save his throne, he hands over Gharshasp and his family to the sultan's forces. And finally, he also accepts the dominance and suzerainty of the Tughlaqs without a fight. The sultan withdraws his forces from Hoysala territory and heads back to Daulatabad. The sultan promptly executes his rogue cousin, cuts him up into pieces, cooks them and feeds it to his unwitting family. After the fall of Kampili and subjugation of the Hoysalas, Muhammad bin Tughlaq goes on yet another campaign of conquering the fortress of Kondana, also known as Sinhagad in Maharashtra. That was in control of a Hindu chieftain, Nayanayaka, the ruler of Kolis, and successfully subjugates him. In 1329 AD, just as the Sultan returned to Daulatabad, Rebellions broke out in Hoysala and Malabar territories, which were then followed by rebellions in the Bengal province. Soon it spread like wildfire to many more parts of the South and Deccan too. Tughlaqs clearly found it difficult to suppress rebellions all over the place at almost same time. And so, Muhammad bin Tughlaq didn't want to cut himself off from the north due to these rebellions and effectively get trapped in the middle. So he drops his idea of Daulatabad being the new capital and moves his capital back to Delhi where he felt he would be more safe. Neelakanda Shastri says that the sudden breakout of rebellions all over the place was more due to the strong revival of Shaivism in Deccan and South. He opines that most of these rulers and leaders of rebellions were under the strong influence of Shaivism. and were in no mood to submit passively to the destruction and pillage of their temples and other religious institutions that they cherished. The other perspective is offered by Dr. M. Bosababu's assessment as he described in his scholarly work, Material Background to the Vijayanagara Empire, a study with special reference to Southern Andhra Desa from 1300 to 1500 AD, published in 2018. In the earlier episodes we saw his theory on centralized power structures and vassals using that framework as a lens Dr M Bosubabu claims that these near simultaneous rebellions were neither coordinated nor were part of a religious movement he claims that this was a classic example of the local nayakas and chieftains finally playing their hand now that their sovereign powers were their weakest after their conflict with the khiljis and tughlaqs Since all of these kingdoms more or less were subjugated in the same time the ruling dynasties of these erstwhile kingdoms were drained of either leadership or resources so it was the best time for even a petty chieftain to carve out his own fiefdom under the guise of raising the banner of rebellion against the tughlaqs who they knew were overstretched and couldn't realistically put them down 
the tugluk themselves it's important to know were near bankrupt after 3 decades of relentless wars and campaigns to subjugate the deccan in south so that too played a factor in this my personal opinion is there is enough room for these theories by nilakantha shastri and dr m bose babu to coexist both are right and they needn't be mutually exclusive there was indeed a power vacuum in the south and deccan that was looking to be filled by leadership that was native to it and the coincidental revival of shaivism to acted as a catalyst in turning the anger against islamic menace from north into a sort of spontaneous combustion by 1331 ad the entire coastal region from mahanadi katak to domains in modern day nellore district had been freed from tugluk sultanate and somadeva who claimed descent from ancient line of chalukyas and became the progenitor of later aravidu dynasty of vijayanagara led the hindus of the western part of andhra desa in revolt against the tugluk governor malik muhammad in kampili tugluks also ended up losing the crucial forts of anugundi raichur and mudgal and hoysalas bhallala 3 to invaded the provinces of the sultanate let's now skip forward to 1334 ad of tamil country the erstwhile pandya country that was subjugated by tugluks earlier here the tugluk general jalaluddin hasan shah governor of malabar province gets over ambitious and purges the loyal lieutenants of muhammad bin tugluk then he issues new coins in his name effectively declaring independence from tugluk sultanate the sultan gets wind of this so he marches to malabar and on the way he stops away warangal at a bad time warangal was in the grip of a bad pandemic and most of the tugluk army was decimated due to this plague the sultan himself gets infected so he aborts his campaign and heads back to delhi to this a rumor is added that the sultan has died on the way to delhi and which excites even more chieftains hindu and muslim alike to rebel and break away from the delhi sultanate and by the end of 1334 ad the power of delhi sultanate was broken all over the deccan and south except in maratha provinces in malabar too half of the territory was recovered by hindu rulers from the rebel tugluk general jalaluddin hasan shah while this was happening seeds of vijayanagara were about to germinate in karnataka jump forward to 1340 ad at madurai jalaluddin hasan shah is assassinated after ruling for 6 years and is succeeded by one of his amirs alauddin udawji udawji invades hoysala's new capital at tiruvannamalai and bhallala 3 is almost defeated when a stray arrow hits udawji in his neck and he dies on the spot bhallala's imminent defeat turns instantly into a victory and the madurai sultanate comes to the verge of a collapse Udawji's son-in-law is put on the throne and then he is immediately assassinated by the nobles in a few months as he turns out to be an incapable ruler. The sultan is succeeded by Ghiyasuddin Damghani who was notorious for his cruelty as per many sources including that of the Muslim and Moroccan traveler Ibn Battuta who was in this part of the country 
during this time Bhallala 3 goes on the offensive against Ghiyasuddin by defeating him decisively in an open battle and then lays siege to one of his forts at Kananuru Koppam After 6 months of siege and with the fort on the verge of collapse fort commander tricks Bhallala to allow him to get in touch with Ghiyasuddin to conclude the details of the peace treaty Bhallala takes the bait and the fort commander instead asks Madurai Sultan to send ample reinforcements which then takes Hoysalas by surprise Hoysala army is routed in the battle by the additional 4000 soldiers of Sultan who had launched a surprise attack Bhallala is eventually captured and taken to Ghiyasuddin As part of a treaty Bhallala is forced to give up wealth and horses Then the Sultan reneges on the deal and instead has him executed Here is an excerpt from Ibn Battuta on this quote Bhallala's skin is stuffed with straw and hung upon the wall of Madura where I saw in the same position as of 1342 AD end of quote Bhallala 3 succeeded by his son Virupaksha Bhallala 4 who is coronated in August of 1343 but this is all we know of him as it seems to be a mere symbolic coronation and Hoysalas had imploded for all practical purposes with the death of its last great ruler Bhallala 3 so with the collapse of Hoysalas all the four great kingdoms of the Deccan and South are finally destroyed most of the south and deccan were in chaos due to uprisings everywhere but unbeknownst to the delhi sultanate there were two powers slowly and silently taking shape at the same time in deccan and karnataka one of them would be the mighty vijayanagara and the other it soon to be arch rival the bahmani sultanate both of them will strike at the roots of the delhi sultanate like never before and completely engulf it in the deccan and south india to bring the much needed stability and peace to the region with this we will end the current episode in which we have finally set the stage for the vijayanagara empire to emerge as a power and a force like never seen before in the south we will touch every aspect of the foundation of this mighty kingdom the narratives the controversies the legends and try to get to the kernel of truth that's gently tucked away in the folds of history i sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this episode and if you did please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review a huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show i hope to see you soon in the next episode till then this is narendra vikram your host and narrator signing off hope you have a great week ahead